Welcome to episode 12 of History Stories for My Son, the podcast where we remember that history is a story that should be shared with every generation. As always, I'd ask if you like this podcast and would like it to continue, please take a minute to subscribe, rate, and review, and share it with your friends. This week, I will tell you the story of Daniel Boone, legendary pioneer. Daniel Boone is probably second only to Davy Crockett, who I talked about in the fourth episode of History Stories for My Son as the most famous frontier folk hero in American history. Indeed, I suspect there are a lot of people who have a hard time distinguishing the two, particularly since they were both played by the same actor during television series in the 1950s and 60s. They both embody an archetype that's really at the center of the American cultural identity, which I talked about before, that of the frontiersman, the woodsman, the explorer, the man who goes to nature to escape the restraints of his civilization, even while pushing out its boundaries. The man of two worlds. But they were very different men who lived in different times. Daniel Boone actually came earlier and did most of his exploring and pioneering in the 1700s, in the years preceding or immediately after the American Revolution. Davy Crockett's most famous exploits were in the early 1800s. Boone, unlike Crockett, never wore a coonskin cap, and he never sought to cultivate his frontier image. Indeed, if not for the fact that a land speculator wrote about his adventures as part of an effort to attract settlers to Kentucky, we probably wouldn't have heard of him at all because he was a fairly unassuming and humble man despite all of his accomplishments. It would have been a shame if we'd never heard of him because his adventures are well worth the telling. It makes you wonder about the thousands of unknown trappers, hunters, frontiersmen from the earliest days of American history who no one ever wrote about. How many stories of breathtaking discovery, harrowing escapes, fights for survival, died with the men who experienced them. I think that's part of the reason why we find the few men whose stories survive so fascinating, because they stand in for thousands whose story we will never know. Picture, if you will, 1776, the territory of Kentucky. On July 14th, a raiding party caught three teenage girls from the nearby settlement of Boonesboro as they were floating a canoe on the Kentucky River. One of those three girls was Jemima, daughter of Daniel Boone, the Cherokee Hanging Maw led the raiders, which consisted of two Cherokee and three Shawnee warriors aligned with the British, who had recruited native tribes to assist in their war against the rebellious colonists. Girls managed to raise an alarm before they were dragged off, and soon 
the nearby town was roused to action. Captors hurried the girls north towards the Shawnee towns across the Ohio River. If they got there, they would probably never be seen from again. Not mistreated, probably integrated into their captor's tribe, as was the tradition at the time. Daniel Boone put together a small party with himself as the head, a handful of picked men who were fast enough and wise enough in the ways of the woods that they could not only keep up with the fleeing natives, but have a chance of overtaking them. Two days, Boone and his men raced through the woods, chasing the trail before it could go cold. Boone was relentless and tireless in the pursuit of his daughter. On the third morning, the rescuers came up, and an old-fashioned frontier battle ensued. One of the captors was shot, and Jemima said, That's my father's gun. After a quick and vicious struggle, the remaining captors retreated, leaving the girls to be taken home by Boone. This little drama was later to be made famous in fictionalized version by The Last of the Mohicans, where a nearly identical scene plays out, and a character at least partially modeled on Boone carries out a similar rescue. This is just one of the many stories that would come to define Boone's legacy. But it uh, gives you a flavor for why he captured the imagination of people living even as his own time. There's something about this notion of a handful of men struggling on the frontier, about a father rescuing his daughter from peril that is both exotic and universal in its appeal. And even though Boone never was known to brag about his exploits, once these sorts of stories started to be told, they had a tendency to snowball. And before long, the tales of Boone's feats grew from the merely heroic and historical to absurd folk tales that no real human being could ever live up to. And I'm not here to talk about the folk tale of Boone. I'm here to talk about the man. So let's take it back to the beginning. Boone was not born on the frontier, not really. He was born to a community of Pennsylvania Quakers in 1734, the son of an immigrant from England who sought freedom from religious persecution. One of history's little coincidences, one of the Boone family's neighbors there in Pennsylvania was a man by the name of Mordecai Lincoln, who, unbeknownst to him and anyone else in his lifetime, was the great-great-grandfather of Abraham Lincoln. Boone was the sixth of 11 children. The Quakers, who were pacifists, enjoyed good relations with the local Lenape Indian tribe. 
as a boy, Boone learned hunting and woodcraft from the friendly Lenape, setting the tone for a lifetime of mutual admiration and aid between Boone and most of the American Indians he encountered, notwithstanding the occasional incident like the rescue I just talked about. From boyhood, Boone was noted for his prowess as a hunter. Uh, once, when he was perhaps as young as 12 years old, he was out hunting with some other boys around the same age, and they came across a panther. Uh, the great cat came at the boys and the others fled. But as the story goes, Boone kept his calm, slowly drew a bead, and shot the great cat dead before it could get to him. This may be a tall tale, but it may not be. It's, uh, as with a lot of stories about Boone, it's kind of hard to tell the difference. But this is one of the more plausible stories based on his future success in a hunter and the fact that people always remarked at his ability to stay calm and in control in any situation. One can very much imagine a young Boone being unruffled by the imminent threat of death and keeping his cool under pressure. Not a whole lot more is known about Boone's childhood, except that uh, the family was eventually kicked out of the Quakers after uh, Boone's father stood by his eldest daughter after she married a worldling. Uh, which is what Quakers called non-Quakers at the time. It was a big no-no within that church. The family left Pennsylvania and moved to North Carolina when Boone was 15. Just as Boone was reaching adulthood, the French and Indian War broke out in 1754. Continue until 1763, and Boone would play a part and the frontier conflict between the French and British and the respective American Indian allies. Boone volunteered for militia service on the North Carolina frontier. He worked as a wagoner, which may not sound dangerous, but as it happened, the British commander, a general by the name of Braddock, failed to take proper measures to defend his supply lines, and the British wagoners were exposed to ambush by French allied Indian troops. The wagoners were slaughtered almost to the last man, but Boone, always a survivor, managed to cut loose his wagons and escape into the woods. This happened during a larger battle called the Battle of Monongahela near present-day Uniontown, Pennsylvania where the Brits blundered straight into a French and Indian force as they tried to force their way through the woods to get at the French Fort Duchesne. A British commander was killed, and it was left to a little-known Virginian by the name of Colonel George Washington to impose and maintain some order and form a rear guard that allowed the remnants of the force to disengage. It's unknown whether uh, Boone got to know Washington at all. It seems fairly unlikely, given the discrepancy in their ranks. Boone, at that point, was a fairly uh, junior 
enlisted men and uh, Washington was a colonel. Uh, what we do know is that Boone was critical of General Braddock for the rest of his life and blamed him for what he saw as an unnecessary loss of life. The only thing Boone really got out of this campaign was a friendship with a man by the name of John Findlay, who had been involved in the trans-Appalachian fur trade and who later took Boone on his first fateful hunting trip to Kentucky. After returning home from the Braddock campaign, Boone married a woman by the name of Rebecca Bryan, a neighbor. They eventually had ten children, and Boone supported his family for the most part as a hunter and a trapper. He went for long hunts every autumn that lasted for weeks or months, collecting pelts for the fur trade. He followed bison trails, known as medicine trails, and he was so successful as a hunter that he could support his entire family for a year with the sales from one long hunt in the spring. Now, in between his work as a hunter and a trapper, the French and Indian War was still going on. And in 1758, the Yatkin River Valley, where Boone's family lived, was raided by French-aligned Cherokee forces, forcing many of the families there to flee up to Culpeper County, Virginia. Boone continued to serve stints with the North Carolina militia, going deep into enemy lines beyond the Blue Ridge Mountains. At uh, one point, the height of the war, he was actually separated from his family for two years, and Sarah, assuming he was dead, had a relationship with Boone's brother. Tellingly, when Boone finally got back, he accepted the daughter as his own and continued, to all counts, to have good relationships with both wife and brother, not holding a grudge. After the war, Boone and family moved back to Yadkin River Valley in North Carolina. But with peace came far more settlers to the area, which made game scarce it made it hard for Boone to continue to earn a living as a hunter and a trapper. Boone would uh, begin what became a lifetime habit of moving on as civilization advanced. Uh, as an old man, he would claim that there was no nothing deliberate about that, that uh, he had nothing against civilization uh, per se, um, but... Whatever his motivations, the fact remains that any time and area he lived seemed to get too crowded, uh, he would pick up stakes and move on. Probably because as a hunter and a trapper, uh, he couldn't make a living anywhere that was too heavily populated because other settlers had a tendency to hunt out the available game. For a while, he thought about moving to Florida and actually went on an expedition there, but his wife put her foot down on that, not wanting to live so far from family. So instead, they moved initially to a more remote area of the Yadkin River Valley, further west, and hunted even further westward into the Blue Ridge Mountains. It was in 1767 that he went on his first expedition to Kentucky with that war buddy, John Findlay, uh, who he'd met early in the days of the French and Indian War. Uh, news had arrived about the Treaty of Fort Stanwix, where the Iroquois 
had ceded their claims to Kentucky to the British. And so that opened up the territory uh, for exploration and settlement. And Boone went on a series of hunting expeditions, exploring the newly opened territory. However, in 1769, he was captured by the Shawnee, who had not signed the treaty and considered Kentucky their hunting grounds. They confiscated his skins, but let him go with a warning. And this incident illustrates an interesting fact about the American frontier. Uh, American frontier is often presented as sort of settlers versus natives, as though the two were homogenous groups, uh, when, of course, that's not the case at all. Uh, every native tribe was different in terms of its culture, its traditions, and its relations uh, to various European powers. Uh, and that's why almost every conflict, uh, at least through the War of 1812, involved complex coalitions between various European powers and various native tribes, uh, with um, native tribes on both sides of every conflict. Uh, and it also created complications in the treaty context where uh, oftentimes a European power would feel like they had entered into a treaty with the American Indians who seemed to control an area, and then some other group would show up and say, we didn't sign this treaty. And uh, that's probably part of why there was so much conflict on the frontier, because of confusion about exactly who had rights where. Uh, now, Boone, he played a very small role in all of this. He was just a frontiersman and a trapper. He didn't set policy. Uh, but he did get caught up on it a couple of times, as this capture by the Shawnee illustrates. In 1773, Boone led a group of 50 immigrants to establish a settlement in Kentucky. Unfortunately, the group was attacked by a band of natives who uh, did not feel like they had the right to be there. Uh, and several of the settlers, including one of Boone's sons, were tortured to death. Uh, that was the end of that particular expedition, but of course not the end of settlement. Now, one might expect that after that incident, Boone might have held a grudge. Uh, but if he did he seems to have kept it from affecting his larger outlook because after a couple more years of struggles between settlers and Indian tribes, uh, in which Boone sometimes traveled long distances to warn far-flung settlers about the outbreak of uh, various conflicts and uh, to defend settlements against attack, he was nevertheless in the end a major factor in securing the peace that ended the war between the settlers and the Native American tribes in the area. Uh, he traveled to Cherokee villages, for instance, at tremendous personal risk to meet with their chiefs directly and invite them to a meeting uh, with a proposition of peace and worked with a wealthy North Carolina judge and peacemaker by the name of Richard Henderson uh, who then bought out the Cherokee claims to Kentucky. Uh, Henderson then hired Boone to blaze what became known as the Wilderness Road 
through the Cumberland Gap into central Kentucky. It's a break in the natural mountains there that allowed people to come through from the east. And he was kind of the first to lead the way and find a safe passage through this uh, wild countryside. Uh, and finally, uh, along with a party of about 30 workers, was able to blaze the trail all the way through and established the town of Boonesboro, where his family moved in 1775. Now, of course, it was there uh, that his daughter Jemima was kidnapped, leading to the rescue that we talked about. The Revolution was another example where the British uh, recruited American Indians to act as their proxies uh, and uh, provided them with materials and incentives, bribes, basically, to raid American settlements uh, throughout the frontier, including Kentucky. In 1777, a group of Shawnee Indians led by Chief Blackfish attacked Boonesboro, and Boone was shot in the ankle while outside the fort defending it. He eventually recovered, but the attacks continued. And in January of 1778, with food supply running low, the settlers needed salt to preserve what meat they had, so Boone led a party of men to the nearby salt springs to try to get supplied. And it was then on February 7th that Boone was hunting meat for the salt expedition and was surprised and captured by a group of warriors led by Blackfish. Boone, indeed his entire party, were greatly outnumbered, and so he persuaded his men to surrender rather than put up a fight, which he knew would just get them all killed. Blackfish wanted to continue to Boonesboro and capture it, since uh, it was now poorly defended. But Boone convinced him that it would be easier to defeat the town in the spring, and that if the chief held off, Boone would help him to capture it. Boone didn't have the opportunity to tell his men that he was bluffing to prevent an immediate attack on Boonesboro. Uh, and apparently he was so convincing and pretending to go over to Chief Blackfish's side that a number of his men concluded that he had switched his loyalty to the British. Boone and his men were taken to Blackfish's town of Chillicote, where they were made to run the gauntlets. As was their custom, the Shawnees adopted some of the prisoners into their tribe to replace fallen warriors. And the way they would make these selections is they would force captives to run through this line of braves, um, one on each side, and as the person would run through, they would be struck uh, by the warriors. And if someone could make it through the gauntlets still standing then they'd proven that they were strong and worthy of adoption. If they could not make it through the gauntlet, then they'd proven that they were weak and worthy only of being enslaved. Boone, of course, being Boone, made it through the gauntlet and was adopted into the tribe. And to all accounts, he functioned quite well within the tribe and was well-liked by the other tribesmen. Perhaps he would have been content to continue in that lifestyle, except for the fact 
that Blackfish still wanted to return to Boonesborough with a large force to conquer the town. And so in June of 1778, Boone managed to elude his captors and race home, covering the 160 miles to Boonesborough in five days on horseback and after his horse gave out on foot. Upon his return to Boonesborough, he uh, roused the town to defense and was somewhat dismayed to find that his wife and children uh, were no longer there, having returned to North Carolina, assuming, again, that he was dead. He set about the preparation of the town's defenses. And as the Shawnee approached, he led a preemptive raid across the Ohio River and successfully defended the town against a 10-day siege led by Blackfish. After the siege, Boone was court-martialed for his alleged treachery in going over to the other side. Some of the men remaining in Boonesboro had relatives who were still in captivity, and they did not forgive Boone for encouraging the surrender. But Boone explained himself to the court-martial that he felt the only way to protect the town was to go willingly and convince the war chief uh, the the best time to attack would be the following year. He argued that if he had not done that, that the Shawnee would have attacked immediately and the unprepared town would have been overrun. Eventually... The court-martial returned a verdict of not guilty. Uh, And not only was he vindicated, but he was actually promoted. Despite this vindication, Boone was humiliated by the experience, and he rarely spoke of it. After the trial, he returned to North Carolina to bring his family back to Kentucky. And in the autumn of 1779, a large party of immigrants came with him, including... uh, Another coincidental intersection of their lives, the family of Abraham Lincoln's grandfather. But having done that, Boone was again feeling the urge to move further, perhaps feeling civilization pressing in on him yet again. Uh, And so... He founded another town, the settlement of Boone Station, a little further out. Uh, And there he, in addition to his usual activities of hunting and trapping, uh, began earning some extra money by uh, locating good land for other settlers. Uh, He even tried his hand at a variety of other occupations. He was uh, still active in the militia, promoted to lieutenant colonel. He was elected in 1771 to the Virginia General Assembly in Richmond. On his way there, he was captured by British dragoons near Charlottesville, uh, where he was saved by the fact that uh, Cornwallis surrendered shortly thereafter at Yorktown, and the prisoners were released. In 1782, he was elected sheriff of Fayette County. He briefly relocated to another town called Limestown, a booming Ohio River port within Virginia. He kept a tavern there and also worked as a surveyor, a horse trader, and a land speculator. Uh, But he wasn't that successful. He was particularly bad at land speculation, seeming to lack the 
uh, killer instinct, or as some would later say, uh, to be too honorable to take advantage of other people's misfortune. And so despite his notoriety, he uh, never had a lot of money and was often being hounded by creditors. 1786, he uh, was instrumental in negotiating uh, peace uh, in yet another frontier conflict between settlers and American Indians. And notably, during that conflict, he insisted on humane treatment for captured Shawnee, uh, in fact, personally housing and feeding some of them at his own home. And he negotiated a prisoner exchange, making sure uh, that the Shawnee were returned to their own people. Uh, by 1798, his financial situation had gotten bad enough that uh, a warrant for his arrest had been issued uh, on account of ignoring a summons to testify in a court case uh, where, where a creditor was attempting to collect on a debt. Uh, ironically, that same year, 1798, the Kentucky Assembly named Boone County in his honor. The same year he was being, uh, the same year a warrant was being issued for his arrest. Uh, he moved further west to what is now St. Charles, Missouri, uh, which at the time was still in the hands of the Spanish. Uh, the Spanish, ignoring the usual requirements that immigrants had to be Roman Catholic, promptly named the by then famous Daniel Boone as a syndic, which is a kind of judge and jury. Uh, and um, to all accounts, over the next five years, was a fair judge uh, who was known for following his own sense of judgment as opposed to the strict letter of the law. In 1804, Missouri became part of the U.S. following the Louisiana Purchase, and uh, Boone lost his Spanish land claims, and that led to another round of financial difficulty for him. He eventually got some of his claims recognized by the U.S. Congress, only to have to sell them to repay his debts. But if he was bothered by his financial woes, he didn't seem to show it much. Continued to live his life much as he always had, hunting, trapping, getting away for weeks, months at a time. As late as 1810, he went on a journey uh, far west, the Yellowstone River in what is now Montana, uh, making that journey from present-day Missouri to present-day Montana on foot in his late 70s. In 1806, a U.S. officer at Fort Asagi on the Missouri wrote, We've been honored by a visit from Colonel Boone, the first settler of Kentucky. He lately spent two weeks with us. He left this for the River Platte some distance above. Colonel Boone is 85 years of age, five foot seven inches high, stoutly made and active for one of his years, is still a vigorous mind and is pretty well informed. He has taken part in all the wars of America from before Braddock's War to the present hour. And so even as late as four years of his death, Boone was continuing to live the life that he'd always lived. When he did die in 1820s, he was buried next to Rebecca, who died in a few years earlier. He was buried in Missouri, which led to 
somewhat tragic comic conflict between Missouri and Kentucky. A few years later, his body was disinterred and taken to a uh, burial site in Kentucky. And to this day, uh, the two states fight over where he's actually buried. Uh, the uh, Missourians contend that the body taken out was not actually his, uh, based in part on an anthropological investigation from 1983, which appears to show that uh, the uh, the skull of the man who was moved uh, was actually African-American. But regardless of where he's buried, the more interesting question is, what is his legacy? Certainly a symbol of the frontier, a folk hero of the American West. I think when talking about Davy Crockett, I may have described him as the first real folk hero, but uh, uh, that wasn't given due credit to Daniel Boone, who came a generation earlier and probably influenced the Crockett legend as well. It's unknown whether the two men ever met each other. Uh, they lived uh, at the same time, though Crockett was much younger, uh, and almost certainly would have heard of Boone. Um, Boone became a kind of symbol of uh, the natural man, as they called it, uh, someone who lives in virtuous, uncomplicated harmony with nature. Uh, when uh, stories of his exploits were spread by a land speculator encouraging people to move to Kentucky, uh, his story was carried all over the world and became very well known even in Europe. Lord Byron, the English poet, said of him, Of all the great names which in our faces stare, the General Boone, backwoodsman of Kentucky, was happiest amongst mortals anywhere. For killing nothing but a bear or buck, he enjoyed the lonely, vigorous, harmless days of his old age and wilds of deepest maze. The man of two worlds, the old civilization of Europe and the new frontier, where a man could live life on his own terms, that was the archetype that Boone filled, moving on as civilization advanced. Um... Sometimes in later generations, he was used for propaganda purposes as an Indian fighter. But as noted, he mostly had good relations with the native population. And he would say later in life he only believed he'd ever once uh, killed a, a native, and that was during the rescue of his daughter. For the most part, he tried to achieve peace with the native populations and did so on several different occasions. Now, a lot of what I've said about Boone is similar to what I said about Davy Crockett, but unlike Crockett, who consciously crafted a frontier image, Boone was basically just doing a job on the frontier, and his life happened to get notice as a result of basically a fluke. So in a sense, he represents a different sort of American archetype, a subtly different type, not the uh, singular self-made figure like Crockett was, but the everyman in extraordinary circumstances, the ordinary man elevated to the public attention by chance, the stand-in for everyone like him who we've never heard of. There's something inspirational about that as well. A good lesson 
for kids, therefore a good topic of history stories for my son. A man uh, just living his own life and in doing, becoming a legend. Daniel Boone, just a man on the frontier.